0: Excited for Easter, but also excited for today as we jump into week four of our series in the book of Ruth. Where you go, I'll go. We are in Ruth chapter three. So I would love for you to grab a Bible uh, and open it up with me and meet me in Ruth chapter three. If you have a physical copy of your Bible, it's the eighth book of your Old Testament, it's right past the book of jo- Judges. It's this really little book called Ruth, and head to chapter three. And if you are new with us, I want to give you the Cliff Notes version of where we are so far in this story. The, the backdrop of the book of Ruth is really unimaginable loss. We see a loss of family. We see a loss of food. There's a famine in the land. We see a loss of, of favor, really. At least that's what, the way Naomi feels in her life. This person, Naomi, feels like she's lost everything. She hasn't just lost food or family, she's lost the favor of God because her security, her future was tied into the family she could build and all that's been taken away. So we see unimaginable loss, but we also see unwavering loyalty, primarily through the person of Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law. And we see against all odds, Ruth sticks with Naomi. Naomi has nothing to offer Ruth. But Ruth sticks with her anyways, and we see one of the most remarkable speeches in all of the, of the Bible from Ruth. And so she doesn't just talk, she also has action. She, she moves out, she does something, she takes responsibility for Naomi's plight and their situation, and she goes out not just to find food, but also favor in a person named Boaz, a wealthy farmer that we've been talking about these last couple weeks. Last week, we saw his simple, but supernatural kindness to Ruth. And that's where we pick up our story. Ruth chapter three, look along with me. We'll read the whole story together and then we'll break it down. I'm just gonna warn you right now, it gets a little weird. It gets a little awkward. Some of you are gonna think, is this really in the Bible? Some of you, if you read this on your own, like by yourself and your roommate or spouse came in and you were reading it aloud, you might put it under the pillow, right? Because it seems a little scandalous. But get this, it's in our Bibles. And so we're gonna read the Bible and we're gonna talk about it together. So read along with me. Ruth chapter three, starting in verse one. It says this. Then Ruth, then Naomi rather, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor." Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. told you, scandalous. Verse 5, and she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor, and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And every mother-in-law said, oh, we're not going to do that? Amen, right? No? Okay. Tough crowd today. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, I lost my place. That just completely threw me. I wasn't planning on that. Uh, I'll just pick it up here. Verse 5. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Amen. Verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring me the garment that you're wearing. Hold it out. And she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty handed to your mother in law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Our sermon title for the day is Risky Love. If you take notes, Risky Love. Let's pray together. Father, I pray as we look at your word, especially a a passage like this that can be confusing, that you would remove distractions, God, you would open up our eyes, you would open up our ears, you would sharpen our minds, and you would soften our hearts to all that you want to say to us, but more so than that, all that you're going to call us to do in response to this word. God, we pray that by your spirit, through your word, in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen, amen. Well, there's a lot going on here if you read closely, if you listened closely, uh, but I want to give you two details as we kind of frame this thing up. I want to give you the location and the time. We saw the location. It was the, the threshing floor. Here's what that was. It was the place at the end of the harvest where they gathered the grain together and they separated it out. And it was basically like payday. They'd been working long hours every day for months, and now they they get to reap the profit from it. And they're on this threshing floor separating all of their grain. And that's where Boaz is. And it was such a big deal that as we see here, Boaz sleeps on the threshing floor. Because a lot of people did that because this was payday. They wanted to protect their investments so they would even sleep on the threshing floor. So that's the location. The time is, as I said, at the end of the harvest. And you gotta picture this. We gotta frame it up with the whole story and the whole book. They have come to an end of a famine, right? That's the reason Naomi left Bethlehem to begin with. Bethlehem means house of bread, yet there was no bread. They had a famine for years. And so this end of harvest, this threshing floor payday, it's a little bit more than just a season. It's a celebration. Right? We see there's people eating, they're, they're drinking, there's merry hearts. And so that's what you should be picturing. As we just read the story, that's what you should be picturing, the location and the time, the end of harvest. And as I think we, we look at those two details and look at this story, those two details we can relate to, right? Right? The end of a harvest, a payday, a a lot of suffering that now ends in success, and and a lot of those things we can relate to, but that's about it, right? The rest of the story is just weird, right? Like, you're thinking it, I'm going to say it, Right? It just gets a little weird, and so it's kind of like uh, this week. We went home for spring break to Texas to see family and let the cousins play together, and we were at my father-in-law's house, and they had a record player playing music, and my son, who's eight years old, was just fascinated by this technology, right? Never seen a record player in his life. He comes up to this big, it was a nice record player, big, nice box, and he asked my father-in-law, how do I listen How do I tell it to play a different song? (laughs) And my father-in-law, who's 70-plus years old, just with a smile graciously tells my son, you don't, (laughs) right? He's a record player, boy. And so my father-in-law, he he graciously, he he started to explain how you don't tell it to play a different song. You pick up this needle, and you put it. Some of y'all are too young, because you're like, what do you do? You pick up this needle, and you put it in a different spot on top of the record, and that's how it plays a different song. Let me just tell you, you should have seen my eight-year-old's face. (laughs) Completely dumbfounded. I mean, absolutely no context for this. He's looking at my father-in-law, looking up at him, just like, what are you talking about? And that's kind of how we feel as we read this story in Ruth. We're looking at, we've said this over and over, this is a different time, right? We've seen that with the status of a woman. This is a a different time, a different context. And a lot of us, as we hear this, we don't have any context for this. And so what I wanna do is just break that down and, and see what things can translate to our culture and what things honestly just can't, right? And the way we're gonna do that is just asking three questions. If you take notes, these are good questions to write down. The first question we're gonna ask and answer is this. What is Naomi thinking? And you should hear that with a little, what is Naomi thinking, right? You read those first few verses, this this scheming by the mother-in-law to her daughter-in-law. She's talking about, hey, Ruth, you go out in the middle of the night. You go to this threshing floor. You kind of hide out and see where Boaz is sleeping. And then you go down and lay with him, and you lay by his stinky feet. And then you say to him, hey, tell me what to do. And I remember just reading that, and as a dad of two daughters, the the response that evoked to me was just simply this Nope. (laughs) Nope. I mean, I was thinking through my daughter, who's, I'm about to embarrass my daughter a little bit right here. My daughter's 11 years old, one day, like when she's 20 or 30 or 40 years old, when she starts dating. One day, a long time from now. And she would have asked me, Dad, I'm kind of interested in this guy. Like, what should I do? How do we go about this thing? I would not point her to Ruth 3. I would rip that page out of the Bible, right? Unless I was just reading it to her of like, baby girl, this is what you do not do, (laughs) right? And so, and I think all dads, we should kind of be feeling that right. We should not tell our daughters to do this, but this is what Naomi does, so why? What's Naomi thinking? Remember, you gotta understand the context. What have we learned about Naomi? In chapter one, she renamed herself from Naomi, which went sweet and pleasant, to Mara, which meant bitter. This is a lady who's lost everything. And not only has she lost everything, she's seeing Ruth losing everything as well. Naomi's older. She's thinking, oh, I've lost everything. But Ruth, this loyal daughter-in-law who's come to me, unwavering faithfulness and loyalty. And I don't want her to lose everything as well. I want her to have a future. But here's what, what, what Naomi knows. She can't provide that future. She can't fix the situation. She can't give Ruth what she needs. But she knows someone who can, and it's Boaz, this wealthy farmer, this kinsman redeemer. Remember we said the kinsman redeemer. To redeem is to to literally buy back. Kinsman would be a close relative that when someone would die, a close relative would come alongside that widow And they would do a few things. We see it outlined in Deuteronomy 25. Leviticus 25 was in the law of God, a provision meant to care for a widow. And that close relative would would potentially buy that widow out of slavery if they were enslaved. They would buy the, the land back that potentially had been forfeited. They would even step in and marry the widow so that they would continue the lineage of the family and the inheritance and the name and all of that. And Naomi knows that's what Boaz is capable of. I can't do what you need to do, Ruth. I can't do anything for you, but I want Boaz to do that because he can. And so we can see Naomi, bad decisions, good intentions. That's Naomi. Bad decisions, good intentions, right? We see it in verse one. He says, She says, Ruth, I want your rest. I want things to go well for you. She has good intentions, but she makes some bad decisions, right? And so what do we do with that? Here's a few things. Uh, this is one of those sections of scripture scripture that's descriptive, not prescriptive. Here's what I mean by that. There's some scriptures that are propositional truths, that are commands that are clear in scripture. Hey, you go and do this. That's some of scripture. And that's prescriptive. Even some of our narrative in the Old Testament, and the New Testament, that is prescriptive. And we see that because it's consistent with all the other scriptures. But there's some scripture that's not prescriptive, go do this. It's descriptive, this was done. Do you see the difference? This is one of those cases, hey, this was done. And here's what it shows us. The Bible is the most honest, raw book in the world, right? The Bible is, is not made up, right? If I were to write the Bible, I would have left this part out, <laughs> along with a lot of other parts in the Bible. Have you ever read through the Bible in a year, and it just gets weird? Like in Leviticus? Why all the blood? And people that say, well, this is all made up and a hoax, if people wanted to make up a story that the whole world would believe, you don't make up this story. You make up a different one, a more sanitized version. The Bible's not that. That gives me confidence in our Bible, even when I read these awkward passages. All right, so it's descriptive, not prescriptive. It shows us that the Bible is an honest and raw book. It also shows us that the only holy person God ever uses in the Bible is Jesus Christ. Everybody else, the heroes of the faith, yeah, Abraham, Moses, the apostle Paul, everybody else is messed up, but God in his grace still uses them for his mission, amen? That's the whole story of the Bible, And so this is what this passage shows us. It's confusing, but it also gives us confidence. It lets us know, not that we should do something like this, Not that we should have permission to do what Ruth does or do what Naomi tells Ruth to do. No, but it gives us encouragement, not permission, but encouragement, that if you have done something foolish like this, that God can still redeem and use you. That's what this tells us. And so what is Naomi thinking? Do you have a better sense? Here's what's going on in this story. Here's what we can take away from it. Here's our second question. What is Ruth doing? We see this amazing courage from Ruth as she initiates, she's bold. In verses six through nine, she gets cleaned up and perfumed up, right? And you're thinking, what's that about? Was she just trying to look nice for her man? I think so, a little bit, right? But it was really more than that. In the Jewish culture, as you were to get cleaned up and perfumed up like Ruth was doing, this was a sign that her season of mourning, her, her husband being lost, this season of mourning was over. She was moving forward, And it was likely in that season that of mourning, she was wearing garments that that would have represented mourning. And and Boaz would have seen those garments. And as a man of honor, we've seen that mentioned in the text several times, as a man of honor and character, Boaz would have said, oh, Ruth, she's still wearing the garments of mourning. I'm going to respect that. I'm going to keep my distance a little bit. So it's possible. why, Why is Ruth doing the initiation? Maybe you're wondering that. It's possible that Boaz was hanging back, waiting for her, to move forward out of that season of mourning. And we see that just with her getting cleaned up and perfumed up. We see she comes softly and uncovers his feet and she lays down. She does what Naomi says. It's, it's midnight. Boaz is startled and says, a woman, behold, that means look intently, a woman is laying at his feet. He says, who are you? Now you gotta remember, it's the middle of the night. Some of you are thinking, who are you, doesn't, he know Ruth already. They had a meal together, last chapter. Yes, he did, but this is the middle of the night before there was electricity, right? So there's no nightlight. He, he can't see who it is, so he says, who are you? She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. This is key, for you are a redeemer. This was the equivalent of a proposal in the Jewish culture. Some translations might read, maybe your translation reads, it doesn't say spread your wings over her, It says, take your garment and spread it over me. That was a sign, like giving someone a ring. It was a sign of protection and commitment. And it's not, get this, ladies, it's not Boaz doing that to Ruth. It's Ruth doing that to Boaz. And so, ladies, if you're dating a guy and he's slow playing the thing, you see an example right here. Ruth takes it into her own hands. She's initiating. It's an amazing act of courage and really risk for Ruth. See, as Ruth does this, she is risking a lot. She knows Naomi's plight. She knows her plight. And she knows that this moment, everything hinges on this. There wasn't a plan B or plan C or plan D. This was their kinsman redeemer. And they needed this to happen to to not only bring marriage, but but status and value and future and protection and provision in their lives. And so Naomi does all this knowing there's a lot at stake, but she does all this as well knowing there's a lot at risk in her own life. Just a few things. There's the risk of being privately turned away by Boaz. I mean, just her confidence, there's a risk of that being vulnerable, Boaz could have just said no and turned her away, and she would have been embarrassed. There's that risk. But there's also the risk of being publicly shamed, that Boaz, a man of honor and character, if he woke up and sees Ruth at his feet, sneaking up on him, potentially damaging his reputation. Remember, she's a Moabite. She's of the enemy, And if anybody were to see that, and you see it a little bit later, they kind of try to hide it and make sure she goes out with nobody seeing it. If anybody were to see that, that would damage his reputation, damage his social status. So he could have publicly shamed her. He could have privately turned her away. He could have physically assaulted her. A couple times in this book, we see, hey, Ruth, don't go into another field. Somebody could assault you there. Stay with Boaz. Stay with his young men and his young women. We see Boaz himself tell his young men, hey, you do not touch her. We see we're in a time of the judges where people, this is a quote from the book of Judges over and over. We see this in the book of Judges. People did what was right in their own eyes. And so Ruth was stepping out in boldness, courage, initiating great risk to herself could have been privately turned away and embarrassed could have been publicly shamed this could have defined the rest of her life or she could have been physically assaulted and yet she does it anyway what's our takeaway from that we don't go lay with somebody we don't sneak up on them we don't get by their feet. That's not the takeaway. But the takeaway is this, something that does translate, like the record player, the music translates. the needle that you put to skip to the next track, not so much. But what does translate? Well, it's the music. Here's the music of this moment. Love is risky. Love is risky. I mean, some of you know this. You're dating right now, or you dated once upon a time, and there came a point, woman or man, where you had to step out and vulnerability, and declare your love for that person. I remember when I did this for my wife. It it was so risky. It was so scary that I waited like six months to do it to the point of frustration for my soon-to-be wife, to the point where we were at an event like this, at a church like this, and my wife, never gonna forget this moment, Jaya. My wife walked up to my best friend and just said, I'm done, and he knew what that meant. Because he knew she liked me, and he never told me. What kind of friend is that? Right? Sam, come on, man. Right? And and, and why did I wait? Because I was an idiot, yes. But also, it's it's risky to put yourself out there. It's a vulnerable place. Love is risky. We see that just in Ruth. You need to know that maybe you're already married. Love's risky to come home and do something nice for your wife. She could say, I don't like that. She could say, I didn't want that. It's risky you step out in faith and courage and you love your spouse. It's risky to love a friend. It's risky to, to love a friend, particularly in this time with, with politics and polarization and not knowing where people are on issues. It's risky to step out in word or deed and love. And we can stay safe and we can stay comfortable, but in that we could not love. And so Ruth teaches us, hey, love is risky And so one thing we can take away, the music from the moment is how are we risking things in our life for love to the people that are closest to us? To the people maybe that are a little bit far away from us, maybe somebody, God's calling you to, to invest in their life. They don't know Jesus. This year has been hard for everybody, but particularly people who have no hope in Jesus. And maybe God's calling you to a friend or neighbor or coworker, and he's saying, hey, just Easter's coming up. Just two weeks away, just invite them to that. You don't have to talk to them about Jesus and explain them. About, just invite them. Just make an invitation. Everybody goes to church on Easter, and God's calling you to step out and risk what if I look foolish? What if that changes our relationship? What if all love, true love, sacrificial love involves risk? How are you risking for the sake of love in your life? Last question is this, what is Boaz saying? So what is Naomi thinking? What is Ruth doing? The last question, what is Boaz saying? Verses nine through 18, we see Boaz's response. He doesn't shame or turn her away. He could have done those things, but he does not do that. He recognizes her risk. You see it, don't you? In verse 10, he says, you are blessed. He praises her kindness. And I love this. one of my favorite parts. He praises her kindness specifically in that she has not gone after younger men. Amen. Right? He's like, oh, thank you. You have not gone after the younger man. You didn't have to come to me. He's a little bit older. And he praises her, her kindness and says she's blessed. He says, verse 11, do not fear. I will do all that you ask. It, it's almost as if Boaz was with, in tune with her risk. He knew the, the potential. He knew Ruth would know hey, I could have turned you away. I could have publicly shamed you. I could have physically assaulted you. And it was as if Boaz, in that moment, he's in tune with all of that. And he says, you're blessed. You're kind. Hey, you're probably afraid. Don't be afraid. And he affirms. He says, I am a redeemer. I am this person. You and Naomi are worried about how we're gonna have provision, protection, security, a future Yeah, I'm that person. I can just imagine all the buildup in the book of Ruth, all the loss, all the risk, all the courage, all of Ruth stepping out in faith, not just in this moment, but when she first went into the field as a a woman in that day. And she ate a meal together, and she was at a separate table from all the Jewish people, and she came over to where the Israelites were, and she ate a meal with them. All the moments, can you just picture all the moments of fear, and insecurity, doubt, yet met with courage and loyalty and faithfulness. And now in this moment, Boaz says, don't fear. I'm the person you're looking for. I am a redeemer. And then it seems like, again, if I was making up this story, that's where it would have ended. And then they would have gotten married. Right? But that's not what happens, right? We see it in the text that, that Boaz says, well, hold on a second. Uh, There is a nearer redeemer to you. There's a closer relative than me to to your family, to Elimelech. And so let me check with him first. And and listen, he wasn't playing hard to get in that moment. He was honoring that other person, that they would have had the right, Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 25, they would have had the right, the responsibility to actually be the redeemer. And he says, "Say first, I'm a man of character, honor. I want to honor that person, and I want to check with them first. But he says, if that person doesn't do it, as the Lord lives, he makes this promise, I will redeem. I'll buy back the land. I'll bring back hope to this family. And we're going to see in Ruth chapter 4, he even marries Ruth as well. He gives them a lineage. What we see at the end of chapter 4 comes Obed. Obed's the father of Jesse. Jesse's the father of David. And Jesus Christ is in the lineage of David. The ultimate redeemer. Boaz, the Redeemer, paves the way for the ultimate Redeemer. So, what do we do with this? One, I think we see that love is not just risky, love is costly. Love is costly, that this would have been costly for Boaz to be the Redeemer. He has to buy back property that has been forfeited. It would would have been costly financially, but it also would have been costly socially. We see it in the text. There's there's kind of this hiding, secrecy. He sends her out privately, but when they still can't recognize each other, that means it was still dark. It was costly, not just financially. It would have been costly socially because Ruth was a Moabite woman. And some people would have wondered, Boaz, what are you doing? She's younger than you. She's an enemy. Hey, we know the Moabites. We know their culture. We know their descendants of Lot, of incest. We know their demonic worshipers. And so Boaz, you're going to marry her? You're you're a wealthy farmer. You could marry anybody. You're going to marry Ruth? So the reality is it would cost Boaz something, but he still commits to it. He says, he promises, he commits to it. As the Lord lives, I will do this. And we see love is risky, but love is also costly. And so for you, as you love people in your life, you just need to know it's going to cost you something. I know we have, uh, as a family, we got our first family pet. Some of you have heard about him. His name is Lincoln. He's a golden retriever. He's about six months old. And we love Lincoln. I mentioned we were away this week for spring break, and our hearts groaned for Lincoln. Right? We, we love Lincoln. We saw pictures of him, and, and we love Lincoln. But that love cost us something in a very visible and tangible way we were here for a few minutes last night and he drew blood on my hand right i love lincoln but it cost me something now love with people should not do that it should not harm you but it brings out the principle that love always does cost us something doesn't it you have to give up something in word deed you have to give up your heart I mean, we see this in marriage don't we It's the two becoming one. It's the leaving and the cleaving. It it costs you something. There's sacrificial love. And so as we look at our relationships, we have to ask, what is love costing me? If it's never costing you anything and you're only comfortable, you might not be loving that other person, right? If If you picture love as that person does for me, that person should satisfy me. That person should ask me out. That person should, should only serve me. Why don't they do this for me? If that's your version of love, that's not real love. Because love is risky, but it's also costly. We see this in Boaz, but we see an even greater picture of this in Jesus. See, again, as we read scripture, there's different types of scripture, and this is a type of scripture that leads us to a type, Boaz, pointing to Christ. See, we're not meant to read this and think, okay, well, what is Naomi thinking? What is Ruth doing? What is Boaz saying? And so how do we do that? There is some element of that. There is like that music's playing, and we can take that and apply it to our lives. There is some element to that, but it's really just a signpost, Ruth is, and Boaz is, pointing us, to Jesus Christ, that Boaz is a redeemer pointing us to the ultimate redeemer. And what we see with Jesus is that his love, it seems risky. His love is costly. We love to say hey, the love of Jesus is free to us, but it is costly to Jesus. That's why we take Good Friday to look at the cross and recognize the cost he paid for us and so we see this most vividly in Jesus we move past Boaz and we start to look to Jesus how do we apply the book of Ruth we look to Jesus we see how ultimately Boaz is pointing to a greater Boaz Jesus Christ who seemingly risked everything to come for us who paid a lot to love us who models perfectly what redemption, what buying back looks like. We, we sing a song called Reckless Love, right? Some of you've heard this song, it's a popular song, we sing it at our church, and, and that song gets some criticism because people will say, hey, hey God's not reckless. That's not uh, true to his character. God's not reckless, and really what the song is saying is not that God is reckless, but that his love can seem reckless. See, because just like Boaz, Jesus Christ redeems us freely, but at great cost to himself. He gives up his very life. He goes from heaven to earth. He goes to a cross. The most gruesome way people could be killed. Jesus Christ, the son of God, how does he love us? He stoops down. He gives us his very life cross. Listen, knowing it seems risky. Knowing some people would be at the very least indifferent to that. Some people would reject that love. And yet he proceeds anyway. It seems reckless, doesn't it? it? Seems risky. It was definitely costly. And that's what we're meant to do. Yeah, how do we love and risk? How do we love and that it costs us? That's part of the story, that's the first layer. The deeper layer is how do we look at Jesus who did that for us on our behalf? So we're gonna respond today, we're gonna take a moment to respond, to look at our our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, to see the way he loved us, to embrace that fully and then begin to love other people like that. That's the story of Ruth. That's the confusing text made clear. We're meant to look to our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Who loved us like this. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, I thank you for this story. I thank you that you have put yourself in this story, that as amazing as this narrative of, of Ruth is, it's pointing to the name of Jesus. God, help us not to miss that. God, help us not to miss how, how, how seemingly risky and how definitely costly your love was for us. God, help us to receive that love and see it in a new light and respond to it by loving others the same way. We pray for your help in that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.